0: Amen. Welcome to the church of Woodbine. I want to invite everybody here that's here at the, here at our, as we say in Spanish, our templo, here at our church. Please stand for those joining online. If you can stand with us for the reading of God's word, we'll be reading out of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And it will be on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bible with you, or maybe you've misplaced your, your smartphone. Can't find the passage, but Luke 10. Starting in verse 25. This is God's word for God's people, according to the gospel of Luke. Verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your minds, and your neighbor As yourself, you've answered correctly. He told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into hands to the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at this place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put on him his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this incredible day. And Jesus, I thank you for everyone here, everyone who's also worshiping with us online. And Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would be our teacher, that you would bring encouragement and strength and comfort and conviction. Open our eyes, of our heart, and of our mind to be able to understand your word. Lord, this is probably one of the most renowned and known parables. And it's so easy just to turn our brains and our hearts off because we already know it. But may we engage with your word as we read and study your written word, Heavenly Father. May we encounter the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And may my words be only yours. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I'm going to sit down today for part of it. Hopefully I don't Peter Pan off the front of this stage. But it is a joy having each and every one of you worship with us today. For those online, I think you're a lot more smart or smarter than those here. I question y'all's intelligence here. And hopefully I'll offend everyone here today when it comes to the roads. I have a confession. I get up super early and I come early every Sunday morning. And there were a lot of texts going back and forth from all the campus pastors. Hey, the roads are slick, this and that. I have not lived in the South forever, and I just thought to myself, oh, these scared Southerners, they don't know how to drive on these slick, icy roads. And I got out on the road, and I slid and slid the whole way up here. It took an hour to get up here, and I repented the whole way back. The Lord also taught me another lesson, which I'll share a little bit further on in in this sermon today, that's a lot more applicable about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan... It is a story that most of us know by heart. And as I prayed, it's really easy for us just to maybe turn our mind, our brains off, turn our hearts off. Oh, I know the good Samaritan. Yeah, I know the good Samaritan. But my challenge for me, for you all here, for you all who's worshiping with us online, let's really ask Holy Spirit to show us who is our neighbor and are we truly being neighborly? Loving loving our neighbor As ourself, I look back to my own friends in Mexico, and I know I use Mexico as huge examples, but those are formative years of my adult life, 20 years in Mexico. And I ask this question for you, to you, who is or was the best neighbor that you have ever had? Why? For me, I look back even some of my physical neighbors in Mexico And the amount of love that they showed to me, to my wife, Christy, to our kids. Some of them were very poor. And yet the things they gave us, the food they gave us, how they watched over our house. We would come to the States for a month on time and give the keys to some of our neighbors to our house and ask them, stay in our house, watch over our house. And they would. I can never forget the last year when I was in Mexico by myself and Christy and the kids were here for almost 10 months. Neighbors would just stop by and ask, Doug, how are you doing? Just to hang out. And at times my heart swells with incredible joy and compassion for these men and women who truly show what it's like to be a neighbor. But is our neighbor limited to only those who live across the street or across the yard or in front of us, or maybe across the aisle or the cubicle at work? What does it truly mean to be a neighbor and not only a good neighbor, but a loving neighbor? Here in this passage here, if you've closed your Bibles or turned off your cell phone, open your Bibles back up to Luke chapter 10. And we know this story, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We know this story very well. Jesus is in the midst, I mean, he is in the midst of the highest point of his ministry. He's been traveling and teaching and preaching and healing. He's raised people from the dead. He even sent out 72 disciples on what we would call a mission journey for a couple weeks. They traveled all throughout Israel. And they themselves preached and taught and healed the sick and raised the dead to life. Can you imagine? Most of these apostles went on this mission trip and these disciples, they did these incredible miracles in the name and power of Jesus. And yet most of them didn't even really believe yet. Yet God was so powerful and so awesome that he worked through them to proclaim the gospel. And when they returned, it says here in chapter 10, read it for homework. Mary Barnes, I know you do all the homework I assigned you guys to do. So I'm telling you now because I don't see you here. So I know you're watching. Read chapter 10. In the context of chapter 10, it's amazing. And when these 72 disciples of Jesus came back from their mission journey, they shared with Jesus all that was going on about the power of God and his kingdom coming in with force. Pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus said that he saw Satan fall like lightning falls to the earth. But he told his disciples, don't rejoice that you have power over these evil spirits, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus then lamented, you'll see it in chapter 10, of how many of these cities and towns would not repent. One of my greatest concerns for the United States of America is we've been so saturated with churchianity and Christianity that our hearts are hardened, and oh, how we need revival. The reason we're doing awaken is because I tr- strongly feel it. God is calling us to prayer and fasting, seeking his face and repenting. The whole point of Lent is 40 days before Holy Week to repent, fast, pray is to grow in intimacy with the Lord is to return to him, preparing our hearts for a Holy Week when we celebrate the greatest week of the life of Christ. When he's betrayed, crucified, buried, and then risen. That's the only reason we're here. So Jesus is at the height of his ministry, talking all about the kingdom. And then this expert of the law, and you guys know it, this expert of the law. He'd be like a lawyer today. He knows the entire Old Testament, front and back, upside, downside, in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, maybe even in Spanish. He knows it by memory. Does anyone know how many commandments there are in the Old Testament? 613. And he asks, as he hears Jesus talking all about the kingdom and the kingdom and the kingdom, and he asks this question, and he asks to test Jesus. This is not the rich young ruler. This is an expert of the law, and he tests Jesus. And we know that his question is not sincere. He doesn't even care about Jesus, but he is concerned about Jesus. Jesus isn't following the traditions of the elders. He's not following the traditions of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The friends of Jesus are prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus doesn't even come from the same authority structure of the rabbis. And yet he's got multitudes following him. And Jesus is talking all about the kingdom. And this expert in law is greatly concerned. Who is this Jesus? And what is he teaching? And why is he teaching this way? I'm very concerned. And I'm going to put him on the spot and try to show him as a charlatan, as a fake and phony. So he asked Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, you're talking all about kingdom of God and kingdom of God. So, how do I get in it? What do I do? How does Jesus respond? He says, well, what is written in the law? He asked, how do you read it? Jesus quickly turns the tables on this expert of the law. Instead of being the one that has to answer the questions, you ask the questions. How do you interpret it? And this expert of the law, what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. In other words, love God with all that you are. It's a love relationship. He's quoting the, I can't pronounce it in English well, the Shema, which was, comes from Deuteronomy 6. And then he take, pulls out the second greatest command, which comes from Leviticus. But every good Jewish person would pray and quote the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God. You pray it in the morning. You pray it in the evening. And then he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. How does Jesus respond? You've answered correctly. You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll live. But what happens? Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We don't know what he was wanting to justify himself from. Maybe it was his own heart attitude. Maybe he realized that he painted himself into a corner and he himself was trying to trap Jesus and then he realized that Jesus actually trapped him. Maybe this man was arrogant, was prideful, self-centered and self-righteous. I mean, he was an expert of the law and we knew that most of them hated Jesus and working with the Pharisees and the Sadducees They ended up betraying and crucifying Jesus with the Romans. But this man, he realizes that Jesus has trapped them. And what he should have said after Jesus affirms the correct answer, love the Lord your God with all that you are, he should have said, yes, Jesus, I know that's true, but I can't do it. It's impossible. I need your help. How? That's how we should respond. You see, the law... There's no way we can be saved by obeying the law. No one is perfect. No one is actually good. The Bible says that no one is good. Our culture for decades have said that we're all good people. But no one is good. You know that hard, deep question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a real, proper question. Appropriate question that all of us should ask. Why Why does evil exist? But there's a false assumption. Because no one is good. It's impossible to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. Without the presence of God himself in our lives. Only Jesus can do it. He's the only human that did. And it's by his spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us, that we can walk in those two commandments. It says here, Jesus took up the question. I love that. He took up the question. Let's stand. Let's stand again. If you're worshiping at home, stand with us. I'm going to read this little section here. We know oh so well. Jesus, he took up the question and he said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him. They fled. They left him half dead. You see, from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a 3,000 foot descent and a very deserted area. The road was very dangerous because there were tons of curves and rocky places where robbers could hide. And these weren't petty thieves. I thought I knew violence when I lived in Mexico my first 20, 10 years. I didn't know violence until the cartel showed up. I really knew violence after that. These were not petty thieves. These were cruel, evil men. And they grabbed this traveler. They beat him half dead. He's going to die. They stripped him of his clothes. They took everything that he had, or at least what was of worth, and They fled. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very treacherous road. It was often traveled, but people would not want to stay on that road very long. And they were usually scared. And if you could, you would have an armed guard. Because it was a great place to be robbed and beaten. And it says here that Doug came by and happened to be going down that road. And when he saw, when Doug saw this man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, Terrell, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Sorry, Terrell, I didn't warn you I was going to do this. It's true. I'm a priest. If you love Jesus, you're a priest. The Levites, they help serve in the temple, worship leaders. But then a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had what? He had compassion. And he went over to him. And what did he do? He bandaged his wounds. He poured pouring olive oil and wine on him. And then he put on, him on his own animal. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day, he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which is two days worth of wages. And he told him to take care of him. And when he returns, he would reimburse him any extra that he spent. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Well, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Let's sit again. So we know the story. I love this phrase. Jesus took up the question. I can see Jesus being like, all right, you want to play that way? Okay, we'll play. We'll take the gloves off. You're trying to trap me. You're trying to trick me. You're trying to show me to be fake and phony, to be a charlatan. All right. As we say in Spanish, you'll see. And then as Jesus shares the story of this man traveling down, being beaten, robbed, half dead, half naked, he's left. And a priest, this is one of the religious leaders, he comes up and he sees the man and he passes by on the other side. The Levite, he comes up and he's one of the Levites. They were one of the tribes of, Jude, of, of Israel, of Jacob. And they were assigned to serve in temple worship and to help the priest. This Levite comes up. He sees the man and he passes by on the other side. Why do they pass by? Well, because if they touch someone who's dead, then they become unclean for seven days. Maybe there was a revival meeting, some tent meeting down in Jericho. They had to get to. They couldn't be late for that. Or maybe they utterly despised this person. Maybe they themselves were afraid of being robbed and beaten as well. And so out of self-protection, they left as well. And then the Samaritan. Do you know who Samaritans were? They were half breeds, half Jewish and half something else. And their ethnic group started out 700 years before the life of Christ. When the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, Assyria brought in people groups from other nations and they intermingled with the Jews. The Jews despised the Samaritans, the Samaritans despised Jews. There would be some business relationships and there was some interaction between Jews and Samaritans, but they hated each other. In fact, many Jews, when they traveled from Jerusalem up to Galilee, Samaria was in the middle. And many good Jews would go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to travel through Samaria and encounter Samaritans. Jews considered Samaritans to be dogs. Many people believe that the Romans would actually recruit Samaritans to become part of the Roman army. Some believe that the Romans who actually crucified Jesus were Samaritans. They were Roman soldiers, but they are Samaritans. And Romans do that on purpose to really dig it into the Jewish people. A lot of racial strife, a lot of racial hate, a lot of unforgiveness, a lot of sinning against one another. Think about ourselves, our country, maybe the country that you're from. Think of the racial divisions, the racial divisions that we've had in this country for centuries, the baggage we carry. And unfortunately, in our pop culture today, many people think that only white people can be racist. Anybody can be racist because racist is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Anyone can be a racist. I've been a racist, and I've received the brunt end of being rejected, being, what do you call it, labeled, for living in a country where hardly anyone looked like me. Most of us have, have experienced racism one way or the other. We've rather received it or we've given it for being different. And for this story here that Jesus is preaching at the end here when he says that the Samaritan is the one who's neighborly would be utterly offensive to a Jewish person. Utterly. We can see it in the expert of the law because when Jesus describes how the Samaritan treated this man who was beaten half dead, and Jesus asks, who do you think of the three was most neighborly to him? And the expert law says the one, couldn't even say the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. Do you see that? The despising, the hate, the racism that this expert of the law has against this Samaritan. We're going to talk a little bit about compassion because, see, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, they came up and they saw this man beaten, lying on the road, half dead. Two passed by. But it says here that when the Samaritan, in verse 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had compassion. The expert of the law says the one who showed mercy. You see, having compassion for someone else, it's not just those butterfly feelings that a boyfriend would have with a new girlfriend or vice versa. No, no. It's a deep move in our pit. It's a deep move of empathy and sympathy and mercy and love and a deep desire to want to take care of and to help and to serve. And true compassion compels us to act on the well-being of another person. Compassion. The Samaritan saw this man. He's lying on the road, and it requires risk. Maybe the robbers were hiding behind a rock, and this man kneels down, and all of a sudden, he's beaten half dead and laying there as well. But true compassion will take risks to serve, will take the time to give. Our time, our talents, our resources And this man, what did he do? He put olive oil on this man, which was a type of ointment to help heal. He would pour wine on his wounds, which would help cleanse it. He bandaged bandaged him up. He put him on a donkey or a horse, we don't know, but on his animal. And he took him to an inn, and he stayed a whole extra day. What about this Samaritan's time? What about his commitments? And he was willing to divert his plan that he had, to serve someone he didn't even know of a different race. And he takes care of them, and then he has to go, so he leaves money for the innkeeper to take care of him, and he promises, when I get back, I'll reimburse you any extra. Do you see the sacrifice? Do you see the help? Do you see the service, the self-sacrifice that this Samaritan gives to a stranger he doesn't even know? Yet it's someone of one of the cruel, well, it's someone of a different race that has oppressed his people for centuries. And yet he's willing to risk his own life to serve him, to help him. You see, because the greatest good Samaritan that has ever lived is Jesus himself. He took on our flesh and blood. He lived as one of us. Yet he was perfect. And it says that Jesus has compassion on us. There's passages all throughout the Gospels, and I only have a couple of them that will be up on the screen, where it says that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, when he came ashore, he saw the multitudes there, and it says when he saw them that he had compassion on them, and he healed them. There are stories when Jesus, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion as he taught the crowds, and he was moved with compassion to touch two blind men, To heal them. Many of Jesus' miracles, it says that he was moved with compassion. That's tender, loving care and sympathy and empathy for the plight of others. It says that Jesus saw a widow. She was in this uh, funeral procession because her only son had died. And moved with compassion, he comes up to this woman. He says, don't be afraid. And he raises her son to life. We know the story, too, of the prodigal son who had left has squandered his whole inheritance. And day after day after day after day, the father is longing and praying and hoping his son returns. This son has sinned and offended the father so deeply that we don't understand as North Americans. We don't understand the sin that this son did against his father by squandering everything and demanding that inheritance before his death. And yet when he saw his son far off, He saw him and he said he was moved with compassion. He had compassion and he ran to his son. Compassion. That type of sacrificial love only can come through the Holy Spirit. But my question for all of us, it's the question Jesus asked this expert of the law, who of these three was truly neighborly? The one who showed him mercy the one that had compassion. And Jesus says, go and do the same. The good Samaritan. You see, because in order went to truly love our neighbor as herself. And I've said this, I'll repeat it again. It requires sacrifice. It requires risk. It requires time and resources. It requires inconveniences it requires commitment. It requires forgiveness. This Samaritan, he comes up upon a Jew, someone of another ethnic background. I'm sure that man, that stranger, had done nothing to him. But this Samaritan, was he struggling with forgiving this other ethnic background? I look in our culture today and one of the greatest examples that we can give as Christians it's when brothers and sisters, black, white, brown, yellow, red, of whatever color that God has created us, that we love one another, serve each other, that we worship together, and that we truly are friends together. Jesus is the one who unites us. This parable of the Good Samaritan truly hits on the racial issues of our day today. It's not the only purpose and point of the passage. But it does hit hard. How do you view people of other races? People who look different than you, speak different than you, are different than you. You see, because to truly love our neighbor, it requires us to humble ourselves, to get in the shoes of another person to understand where they're coming from, to truly hear their story, to hear their background, to have empathy and sympathy. And then finally, to truly love our neighbor requires us to speak the truth in love. To love someone doesn't mean... To love someone means to embrace them for who they are. But it doesn't necessarily mean we tolerate their sinful, immoral habits. Of life. To truly love someone means that there are times and places when we need to speak the truth in love, and sometimes that might be very hard. It's to confront someone when they're walking or living in sin, regardless of the sin it is. To love someone, if I were to see or if you were to see a two year old out in the middle of this street right here, right outside of our church building, would you let them stay in the street? Or would you run out and pull them off the street and try to find their parents? Because the true act of love would be go out to the street and risk yourself from getting run over to pull that child off the street. Or let's use the interstate. That's probably better. If you saw a two-year-old waddling down the interstate, would you just drive by or would you pull over and get out of your car and try to rescue that two-year-old? There are many two-year-olds in our lives today that are walking and living a life of sin and habits that are sinful. And for many of us, we're too afraid of being rejected that we don't say anything. But true love requires tough love at times. In closing, there's a couple of things I want to highlight. One is as a staff, I think I've shared this in the past, as a staff, We read this book last fall. It's called Advocates by Dottie Lewis and it's all about racial reconciliation. It's an excellent book. All the flames that were lifted up this past summer and early fall with all the racial strife that was going on because of the election and the holidays and everything else, a lot of that is We as Americans are so quick just to turn the page and move on to something else. We like to cover up our awful, sinful past. But God calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, regardless of color or socioeconomic status we're in. We're ambassadors of reconciliation, first and foremost, to our Heavenly Father through Jesus, and two between one another. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. The next one is this, and Chris and Hunter, if y'all don't mind putting these questions up on the screen, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Here's some questions I have for each of us today as we reflect on this passage to truly show compassion. And the first question is this, what type of person or neighbor are you? Ask yourself, what type of person, what type of neighbor am I? And trail and worship team, you guys can come on up and get ready. I was thinking about that, man, what's a cool story that I could share about being a neighbor. This morning I left at about 7.10 to get here. It takes me about 25 minutes to get here. I must have passed about 10 wrecks. I was going about 10, 15 miles an hour, and there was a wreck just right up here by Witsad Elementary School. Big, huge pickup truck. The whole fender was busted off. And I saw this old man getting out. He looked like he was in shock, and I just kind of wheezed on by. The police weren't weren't even yet there. And I'm confessing this to you. The Lord hit me like a ton of bricks. You're that priest, aren't you? You got to get to church. Cuz you got to figure out if you're gonna do live worship or not. You're too busy and I didn't stop. I didn't stop. Drove right on down to Woodbine and got busy doing my thing this morning. And the Lord just plowed me. How many people did you pass on the road today, Doug, in the ditch? And you didn't stop because you had your agenda. So my question for all of us is, what type of person, what type of neighbor are you? The second question is this. Am I truly being neighborly to others? Am I showing compassion to others? A third question to ask is this, are we picking and choosing our neighbors when it's convenient for us? Who is your neighbor? There's three things I would love to challenge all of us in regards to our neighbor because our neighbor might not just be the person that lives right next to you. Could actually be your enemy. It could be the person that's hurt you. It could be a stranger stuck on the side of the road because they're in wreck. It could be a coworker. It could be your parents. It could be your children. But there's three things I want all of us to do on how to love our neighbors. The first one is to pray for them. That sounds like a real good Christian thing to do. But when we truly begin to pray and intercede for other people, God gives us his love and his compassion, his eyes and his heart to see them the way he does. It doesn't justify their sin, and maybe it's sin that they've committed against you. But when we truly pray for people, I mean really pray, God will work on behalf of those prayers, but more than anything, he will touch our hearts and our minds to see that person the way He does. He'll give us the strength to love them with His love. The second step, very practical, is I want to encourage you to reach out to your neighbors. Again, it might be your physical neighbor, the person that lives beside you. It could be someone in your workplace, be one of your teachers, one of your coworkers. But reach out to them in a practical way on how you can love and serve them. And number three, it's kind of a prayer, but ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to look for ways to truly love those around you. God intentionally puts people in our lives where we can truly live out being a good Samaritan. Jesus is our example because he was the epitome of what a good Samaritan is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this awesome day. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the greatest example of what a neighbor is like. You took on our nature. You lived as one of us. You also took our sin upon yourself and you shed your blood. You are the way. Not only have you shown the way, but you are the way. And Father, your word says that anyone who claims and affirms that we believe in Jesus should walk as he walks. And Jesus, we can't do that on our own. We can't even do it. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us fresh and anew to love you with all that we are, Father, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.